Hi everyone, Dave here. Thanks for coming along to another episode of the podcast. Um, now there's a bit of a break from players this week, um, speaking to someone different, um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we have John Cottrell-Walls over on the podcast with us. Um, now he's had a really interesting route into football um, after leaving his job in HR um, to go into um, data analysis. Um, he currently works with the Chesterfield FC women's setup and also with the Chagos Islands. So anyone that remembers my chat with Rick from Hope and Glory Sportswear, um, it was John who set up the, um, the shirt deal initially with Hope and Glory, hence why we've ended up getting him on the podcast. Um, but it was really good to have a chat with him about um, the ins and outs of analysing data in football and also in strength and conditioning too. Um, so if you're part of a, a Sunday League team and want to get into a bit of data analysis, this is the podcast for you. Hopefully it answers a few questions of what uh, people working in data analysis um, and SNC coaches do. Um, so I think it was really interesting chat, and I could have had a, I could have spoken to him for hours. Um, as always, we are at Spire Legends on uh, Twitter, Legends of the Spire on Facebook, and also Spire Legends on Instagram now as well. Um, so thanks very much for listening to another episode of the podcast. Here we are with our latest episode with John Cottrell Bolsover. Good to have a chat with you because obviously I've done a lot of podcasts with footballers um, for the men's team at, at Chesterfield of years gone by, and then we had that chat with Hope and Glory Sportswear, of which that all became about because of you, I think. So we'll cover that um, because really the the women's team has really grown, hasn't it, massively over the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the the really pushing on now. I joined them three years ago. Um, and we we kind of that's when we put a development plan together for them, um, and we've been we've been pretty relentless with it really. Um, it's um, I, I took some time out of my business that I ran at the time. I thought I'm going to take a year off. Mm. I'm going to grow it to what it is. Um, still a lot of work to do, but yeah, they're, they're coming on in leaps and bounds. To be honest, right, right. So we'll dig into that in a bit. But first, I just wanted to know about your kind of love of sport from growing up and how you wanted to get into it who you who you kind of supported and stuff like that growing up i might drop myself in it if i uh if i if i let every, let on that i'm a blade so uh, i have a chef united fan born and bred um grew up at the side of the ground so it's kind of always part of my culture if you like um so uh, i was one of those mad football mad kids um there was a group of friends that we we lived in blocks of flats with a field in the middle um, and we literally came home, threw the school bags in, and we were out until we got shouted in for uh, for supper. So that that was that was kind of my football life growing up, if you like, and and obviously growing up quite close to the ground as well. You got the roars and the crowds and 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 the coaches and people arriving and stuff like that. It was uh, that it's always been football for me. Although I was sports mad at school as well. Was the, was there ever was it ever a like a career option for you? Did you ever think when you were growing up? Um, I actually, my when I was at school, I was I was determined to be a sports journalist because I was um, particularly good at English. That was my subject at school, uh, and I had a real passion for media. Um, and so I, I was absolutely dead set on being a sports journalist. 
um, but I didn't quite get the GCSEs to get onto the A level, so it was that career kind of went 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 down the pan a bit. So it's it certainly uh, very different to what I thought it would be. Yeah. So how did you end up getting into it eventually? <clears throat> well, uh, it's quite a story to be honest. Um, when I was younger, it was back in two thousand and six that I, I kind of got into coaching. Um, basically, I um, I was taken ill uh, with a kidney infection. Um, and then I went to, uh, ended up in hospital with it and I was kind of in hospital and they said, oh, you're having a heart attack? And I was sort of like, really? I, I don't feel like I'm having a heart attack. It doesn't, I, I've got no signs of a heart attack. Uh, and it turned out, um, to cut a long story short, I was taken into a room a few weeks later and uh, uh, a cardiologist said to me, you've got a rare genetic heart disorder um, um, called sudden unexpected death syndrome which means you could die any second. So I was sort of like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> not sure how to deal with that one. Right, so um, it's cold, isn't it? It, it's, it? it was at the time. Um, and so basically I had to have a, a defibrillator, a pacemaker fitted uh, and be monitored and all that kind of thing. But it was it was quite a big thing at the time because because the, the heart condition is called Brigada syndrome. It was so rare that um, I hit the national press uh, and it was a bit of a whirlwind. It's all, it all seems like a bit of a dream when I look back now. I was in all the national papers and they want me on television and all that kind of thing. But kind of once that dust had settled, I was sort of left with this, wow, what now? Um, and, and it was at that moment I kind of decided that I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to improving the lives of other people. So that's, that's what I want to do with my life. And no matter how much time I've got left, that's the legacy I want to leave. Uh, and I did that in two ways. Number one, uh, I became, a, my, my wife and I became foster carers uh, and adoptive carers. And we, uh, and the second part of that is I wanted to turn my love for sport, my passion for sport, football in particular, into a career, whatever that might look like. So uh, I wanted to go out and help people. And that was the medium that I was going to use. So um, I, I remember my first course, I was actually sat on a course. It was a it wasn't even a qualification. It was part of the Olympic legacy program, something called a sports maker program. Hmm. Um, it got a free t-shirt and on, you went on a three hour course. And basically it, the, the point of the course was you went out and made sport happen, whether it was with mates in a park playing rounders or doing table tennis on your kitchen table and that type of thing. Um, and then 15 years here, I found myself. It, it was kind of just went on a, on a long run from that point. So um, yeah, quite a dramatic transition into the first. So, in a way, you're almost quite thankful that that all happened. In, I, in looking back, because it looks like it's given you a real like tunnel, tunnel focus, yeah. determination from it. Absolutely, I always said that the 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 heart condition, serious as it was, was perhaps the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, obviously, I've got a wonderful wife, got a wonderful family, got kids and grandkids as well, um, but. Um, but I was in a dead end job. I was I was I was a HR manager. I was kind of hiring and firing people um, for a living for a call center, um, and it was awful. Really, it, it was just a run of the mill, pay the bills job. And I thought, no, there's more to life than this. Um, and and so yeah, it's it, having a heart condition. Like I said, was the the best thing that ever happened to me. It was life changing in in a bad but then a wonderful way as well. So yeah, wow. Um, and, and yeah, I think you've done quite a bit of like youth coaching as well, haven't you? With yeah. with kids and things that I've seen. Because I've had a look at your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, and like, there's a lot on there about 
courses that you've done in like mental health and challenging behavior and safeguarding and, and things like that yeah. in, in kind of youth coaching youth sport yeah do you want to say a word about how important you think all that, all that yeah absolutely I think I think for me, um, the two the two parts of my life have intertwined. So, so working as a foster carer, uh, and uh, my wife works in that industry anyway. Um, we we've got a, no, a lot of knowledge on that subject, and so and it crosses really well into sport. So, and particularly with mental health, um, it's um, it's such a big part of what we do now, uh, and such a big part of of life. The, the way that we view mental health and, and, and conditions and circumstances has changed, or the, or the understanding has changed so much in the last, in the last five years almost, um, that it, it's, the knowledge is not out there. So, and I think when, when you look at kind of, for football coaches, as an example, you, you're turning up, you're, you could be a volunteer football coach, turn up to your football club and, and you think, my, my skills are to coach football. Actually, we're finding more and more there's a lot more around that now. So it's dealing with challenging behaviour, dealing with mental health issues and all that type of thing. So the knowledge, getting the knowledge out there is so is so essential uh, and, and such a big part of what we do now. So if we go on to, so obviously you at Chesterfield Women and Shagos Islands, which we'll talk about as well, you're working in um, kind of data analysis and performance and things like that. So I'm just wondering, like a nuts and bolts of, what it is <laughs> yeah so uh, performance analysis it's uh, perhaps what it says on the tin really analyzes performance uh, in various ways um so to uh, the simplest way of thinking about it is that I'll, we i particularly work in three different ways so uh, i work on video analysis so we use video and that to look at to, to create codes of data so that might be at its most basic might be uh, having a look at what happens when you enter the attacking third or what happens when the opposition opposition enter your defensive third or what happens on a set play and, and things like that. So you can look at, video is very good, uh, but it, you can look at examples and patterns and things like that. Um, the second part is what I'd call notational analysis, um, which has evolved probably more than anything in the last few years or so. And notational analysis is basically you're at the side of the pitch counting things that happen um it's at its most basic it's pen and paper but we obviously these days we use software and, and, and ipads and things like that and that will capture data as, as as in things such as we've had a percentage of the ball or we might have had from the 33 attacking entries we've had we've had 12 shots of which 42 percent were on target and um, and with that you can start to over a period of time start to identify patterns and that might inform training and things like that. Or it could even inform within the game. It could inform what you might do, the changes that you might make and that type of thing. Uh, and perhaps the most advanced part is the GPS analysis that I do as well. So that's basically, that's where you see the vests um, and things like that. So uh, the GPS vest that, that, that we use can, can give me information on a player for every millisecond that they're on a pitch or in a game or training. And that give me things such as movement, uh, acceleration times, um, peak acceleration, top speeds, distance moved, work rate, and and that really informs kind of your strength and conditioning programs and things like that. So you would create an SNC program on the back of the GPS data that you get. So um, so obviously I work on it on a bit of a higher level, but 
uh, analysis is, is coming into the game at all levels now, and and there's some really good stuff out there for the for the amateur coach as well. Whether that's just pen and paper or a very basic Android phone app that you can use. Um, so it's such a it's such a huge part of uh, of what we're doing, and, and probably the biggest growing part of, of, of coaching football that we see now. How much of it is um, like about the team, and how much of it is is about the individual? Obviously, there's a big overlap, won't there? But you'll be there's kind of two elements of it, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So S and C wise, if I was working with GPS, I might look at team data. This is what we need to do as a team. But actually, as individuals, if I if I'm designing a program, perhaps for one of my under 16s, then I can look very specifically at what type of program they might need. The, the types of things they might need, need to be doing outside of football to take them that, that one step, that 1% higher. Um, so it kind of it informs team training that this is what I might concentrate on over the next six weeks or, or the next block. Uh, but from an individual perspective, it, it's what I might, what could, you can do to advance that particular person. Um, but it's also great for looking for things like injury prevention. Um, when you see somebody's stats kind of change, and you notice that pattern, you think, why is that happening? Is it about fatigue? Is it about overload and things like that? And so, so actually, we find the injury prevention side of it as well it is, is very good as well. So, so probably a 50-50 split between team and uh, team and individual, yeah. And how do, you, um, how do you benchmark that at the start? Because obviously different, everyone's different, aren't they? The, the yeah. heart rate might be slightly different and the perceived efforts or whatever might be slightly different. And obviously there's positional differences as well some have to run more than others um do you have to like benchmark all of that at the start to depending on yeah. who they are and where they're playing yeah so you, you're talking about what what you don't use analysis for which is the first lesson you ever learn in performance analysis it's not used as a stick to beat players it's used as how do i progress that person or how do i progress that team um and so so kind of when, you, when you're working with the data um, you you always need baselines. So, for instance, uh, when I work, I, I also work with our under sixteen side, which is kind of a it's kind of semi academy, if you like. We we kind of put they, they kind of train three four days a week. So so with those, we have periodic fitness tests, for instance. So we'll do kind of a, a sprint test. We'll do um, a height test. Uh, sorry, a, a vertical jump test. Uh, we will do a number of other tests as well and we'll probably do that five times during the season because that will give me every piece of data that I need on that individual and monitor progression as well um, which is great because it's consistent and you can measure that the same the same conditions over time in games it's a little bit different because like you say it depends on your opposition depends on the weather depends on the pitch it depends on your position but generally what you're looking for is analysis and data that you take from analysis is not there to answer questions it's there to ask questions more than anything so for instance i can have a look at our um our under 16s and and say right this week their gps rate dropped by 20 points why was that okay so so we have a look was it about the game was it about certain periods of the game was it and, and it will ask lots of questions and then you come to a conclusion on those questions and that will inform your next steps so it's never as easy just to say all oh, right our accelerations were down this week got to do some sprint training you, you've got to take analysis is one small tool in a very big box and you will use that to inform your coaching and your training more than 
Conduit being a very defined area. So uh, so it's kind of when I, when I work with our first team and, and we'll travel down and, and we'll finish the game at four o'clock, then that's when my work starts. So it's often I'll, I'll probably do 15 hours work after a match to to put reports together and, and to really dig down into the data um, to present. And, and yeah, so, so the real work is, is kind of outside of football as well. So, yeah, yeah it's... We've had some fun with that. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> have you have you found anything out about a player that they didn't know about? Because I'm thinking, like, um, was it Lizzie Arnold who was like put through loads of assessments about what sport she might be good at, and the, and they kind of looked at all of her data and said, "Oh, you'd be good at skeleton." And she went on, I think it was skeleton, went on to win gold medals. Is there things like that that you can tell from people's data that they're actually yeah, they're it's, better it's... than they think they are? It's, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can always, sometimes, you, if you dig right down into the, into the depths of how a person works, you can, I, I can improve people's speed now by not giving them kind of strength programs, but by changing the way that they move. So, so adjusting their biomechanics, the way that they run and the way that they move their arms, and their energy expenditure and that type of thing. I can improve people's speed just by changing the way they are. Um, now, it, it's funny that you should mention kind of uh, skeleton and, and things like that, uh, because uh, British bobsleigh, actually, the vast majority of their recruitment comes from athletics. Um, most people in bobsleigh will have come from athletics. And so they have a profile of, we need people who have good explosive movements, a, a fast peak acceleration, a high top speed. And so, so yeah, definitely they will select from other sports because they fit the profile. Uh, a few years ago, I, I met a lady called uh, Amy Williams. And she was a gold medalist at the, uh, I can't remember which Winter Olympics it was. It was going back some time now. Uh, and she talked us through the story. She was a sprinter and, and she was a she was a 110 meter hurdler and, and she was picked up through that program. Um, that, that they were looking, actively looking for those people that had the right skills. And you imagine hurdling and sprinting is exactly what you need on a bobsleigh. You need yeah. to run fast and then jump into the jump into the sleigh type thing. So um, so yeah, profiling and when you take that to, to go to your original question, when you take that into football, definitely you um, you tend to find that people would be better suited to new positions because they have the attributes. For instance, I've turned wingers into wing bags because they their endurance over a long long distance is very good. Their acceleration is very high, and their top speed and their speed maintenance is very high. Every attribute of a wing bag. And so they, they've done that and done that very successfully. So, so yeah, absolutely. You can, you can look at those attributes, yeah. And I suppose one of the most important things of your job is that people actually listen to you. You, know, you, need, a, <laughs> you need a manager, don't you, that will listen to you if you say, oh, they're, get, they're going to get injured, um, rest them. And you need players to listen to you if you're saying, no, you should be a wing back and not a centre forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one skill that you do learn is that you give your opinion and you give, and, and it's one of many opinions. Do you know what I mean? Uh, sometimes it will be listened to, sometimes it won't be listened to. Sometimes you can do 15 hours of work and somebody say, uh, yeah, I'll have a look at that later. And it not happen. And you think, oh, right, okay. Um, but, uh, but that's just the, 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 the way that, 
that the game is or, or the role is. And, and you have to think and act like uh, it's a science, it's a sports science. And you have to think and act like that. Your job is to provide information. It's, it's not your job to, to kind of ensure that information is followed through unless that's needed. Um, but you, you give the information and then it, it gives people like, like managers, for instance, it gives them more options to, 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 to kind of produce their own opinions. And it may be they disagree with you and that's fine. Okay. You kind of welcome that to a certain extent. You want to be challenged as well, but, it, but you inform decisions. It's kind of whether they follow that through it is their prerogative really, but you know that you've done everything that you can. To, to give them the best informed choice. So how how so how could like a Sunday League team start doing some kind of data analysis? What what could they practically do if they've not got a much of a budget or, or something like that? What could they yeah. do? Pen and paper. Pen and paper it's the best thing we have. Um, so you could you could just sit doing um, kind of the just lines on a piece of paper and say, okay, what what happens when we go into their into our attacking third? What happens when the ball comes into our defending third? And so somebody sat on the sideline, piece of paper counting. So we've been into the opposition box 24 times. We've got 10 shots. Four of those were on target. Six were off target. Very, very basic stat. How would I use that? It might be shooting practice. They might say, well, actually, We've dominated this game and we've won 2 0. But actually, when we look at it, if we'd have been a little bit more accurate with the shots, it may have been 3 4 5 0. And even though we dominated this game, if it was a bit tighter, it might be those fine margins that just give us that edge later on. And the, the thing about kind of um, the, the way that, that we are as humans, if you like, we're going to psychology a little bit, is that we, we have a bit of a bias. Um, and sometimes we, we, we find what we're looking for and say, well, actually, we've dominated that game. How come we've not scored? But actually, you need to look at why and, and, and data gives us that. So it kind of removes the bias. So your very basics is pen and paper. Just record how many times things happen. What happens when they go in our box? 10% of the time they lost possession. 90% of the time they got a shot away. So let's work on that defensive thing to blocks to stop the shot happening. Very basic stuff that you can take, and it's well, say it's free of charge, it's 50 pence. You can pick yourself a pencil up uh, and get a nice little notepad, and you've got everything that you need. So, on that piece of paper, would you be putting like you know, boxes shot on target, shot off target, and just like so you can just do a mark in it? I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So, you set what you call a KPIs. So, you, you set KPIs, and you think if the ball goes into the box. What are all the outcomes that could happen? Okay, what are all the possible outcomes? And you might say shot on target, shot off target, set play, offside, foul for, foul against. You can have it. And every time something happens, it's a little mark. Simple as that. And you can just, and it's amazing what you can do with that data. It's the most basic data you can have. But it's amazing because you can sit down afterwards. And I've seen it many a time, many a time where people sat down and said, didn't realise we were doing that. We didn't realise we were doing these things. It's we're scoring off of sixty percent of the set plays. I didn't realise it was that good. So let's enhance that. What what's not working for us? What can we improve? It's a very basic data, but but actually really powerful as well. Yeah, I was talking to John Duncan the other day, and he was saying the basics of how he managed was that he wanted to make sure over a season we scored more goals from set pieces than we conceded from set pieces. <laughs> and he was like, that'd be a successful season. <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be a very successful season, yeah. <laughs> so do you sometimes sit amongst fans during a match 
and they're saying things that you think, no, that's not right. <laughs> um, kind of touched on that sometimes fans see things, like you say, they've got bias yeah. towards what they see and what they don't see. Do, do you, as an analyst, does it, it's, um... as an analyst, um, <laughs> I try to sit as far away from people as possible um, because you have to be very careful because because everybody's influenced and, and somebody might be shouting or saying something. And I've got to be very careful that that doesn't bias my data. So I'm suddenly looking and thinking, oh, I didn't spot that. Or And then you start looking for it to happen as opposed to it not happening. So you're always, it was, there's, a, there's a lot of confirmation bias goes on. Um, so you've got to be very disciplined in that sense. And you, you do sometimes, you get the, the good old, um, if, if people don't understand analysis, they'll say, I, I hope you're counting how many throw-ins we've lost. <laughs> it's not like, no, that's not in my KPIs, so I'm, I'm not actually counting that. Well, it must be a lot. It must be a high percentage. Um, I'm not counting that. And so you've got to be kind of, you've got to be very careful about, about biased information. Like I say, it is a very scientific aspect to it. Um, but, uh, but, but you also get the, the other side of things where um, you, will, you will have managers and coaches that will... Well, absolutely, absolutely adamant that your data's wrong. So I, I, I used to have that in the old days when it was very, very new. They're sort of like, that's not true. That can't be possible. That's not happened. Um, and it was sort of like, yeah, that's that, that that's the stats. That's the, that's the beauty of data is that it is data and data doesn't lie. So um, no, I don't believe that. So, so you do get that. You do get that. And it is, you do have to be very disciplined. It is, uh, it is tough. Yeah. Well, you have the benefit, I suppose, of I know rather than I think, don't you? Which is important. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's not my opinion. It is. Yeah. It's, it's what it is. In so, how did it all come about with the Chesterfield women's team then? So it was very basically. I've got quite uh, high standards, um, which is I, I I need to be at a club that is progressing and has got a very professional background. It's just it, it's a bit. It's one of my downfalls, to be fair. Um, but um, I, I got talking. I was looking. I was out of the game for a little bit. Uh, I was looking at a, a new club. Uh, spoke to Chesterfield. Um, went to see what they were all about, and I was so blown away by the the setup they had for the level they were at at the time that it, it was a no-brainer for me. So I kind of came in. They were very into what we're doing. The when I spoke to to Mike, who was the first team manager at the time, and um, he 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 bought into exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, the, the pros and cons about it. It was the first time I was putting GPS analysis into. Uh, so I, I, we invested quite, or I invested quite heavily into GPS data because I knew it was an up-and-coming thing. Uh, and so the club that I, I went to had to be right and it had to take it for what it was. Um, and so I went there. The, the setup was unbelievable. The, the, for, for the level they were at to have the physio, I mean, the physio at Chesterfield Women who's been there ever since I've been there is one of the best physios I've, I've ever worked with. And there was a psychologist there. There was a fitness coach there. There was the goalkeeping coach, absolutely brilliant. The setup was superb. And I thought, yeah, this is for me. And, and never looked back since, really. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably admit to being a bit ignorant for the last few years in that I didn't really... I probably knew that they existed, but I didn't really see anything uh, around about them. But then this last year or so, it's gone astronomical in, in many ways. You know, if kind of through social media and and everything else and you kind of see the results that they're getting great results and and yeah. you see players going on to other clubs and, and things like that and, and the reputation rising it's a lot's happened hasn't it in quite a short space of time 
It has, and it's been a huge project, really. And it's been it's sometimes the. I mean, we've got a, a, a wonderful board, an absolutely fantastic board that, that work tirelessly. And, and bear in mind, it's voluntary as well. And, and there was weeks we put 60, 70 hour weeks into, into taking the club to where it is today. And there's a lot more work to do. Um, it's, we, we, we set the standards high, we set the bar high, and, we said, and, and it was up to us to drive that. Um, it, and that's what we've done from, from the work that's been done at the top with the first team. The first team have, have gone through a phenomenal process of, of, of rising through the ranks um, and are already in, in, in a new season uh, in step five uh, and the, the work that we've done with the juniors as well as that that's grown fantastically the um, the for, for the first time really now we've got juniors that we're looking at at 14 and saying they're first teamers they're going to be first teamers one day and the the plans that we now put in through we, we have things like the advanced player center which is basically for, for players in the club that we they go on, they have strength and conditioning programmes, they go on seminars, we, we, we gave them the high level, kind of professional academy level advice, information and opportunities. And that's now showing results, producing people that will be playing for the first team one day. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a tough first team to play for. We, we have some, some people that, that, that could quite easily play at the top of the game and, and they choose to stay with us. Uh, we, we says a lot about what we do, um, but the, the work off the field as well has been absolutely brilliant. We, we've got some really good people at the club, some very, very good professionals that do such a wonderful job. And we, we couldn't be where we are without the hard work and dedication that, that they put into it. Yeah. How, how much is it actually incorporated into the, like the men's part of the club? Is it just, is it just by a kind of, name and association at the moment or is it quite or is there more of a closer link yeah so we, we we've um, we, we've enjoyed a, a close relationship with with the club um over the past few years um there's chesterfield or chesterfield fc women as it is now has a long history and in fact when you look at the history it, it, we're one of the pioneers of women's football we we had um, the, the, the lady, if we go right back to when, when it kind of all started 30 years ago, obviously it's his 30-year anniversary this year, we had um, the, the co- uh, one of the coaches, Jane Ebbage, she was the, the first woman in the world who, who applied for and passed her UA for A licence, or what it is now, um, and, and the players that came through. And there was that association with the club back then, I think that came from being Charlie Park and then, Game, Charlie Park Spirites and the Chesterfield Ladies, and, and that's evolved over time. Um, and, and we are associated with the club closer now than we've ever been. Um, and, and to be fair, the, the, the fans at Chesterfield have really embraced it as well. We, we see now um, the, we, we get people who are who go to the men's game on a Saturday, they come to the women's game on a Sunday, and we've got people that, that come. The, the crowds are never going to be as big as the men's. It's just where women's football is at the minute. Um, but um, but we, we see that crossover now, uh, perhaps more than we've ever seen before. Uh, and, and the fans have been superb. They, they, they give us a lot of support, and, and, and it's great to see that, that kind of crossover. Yeah. Uh, and, and we enjoy that. We enjoy that, that kind of relationship that we have with them, yeah. And it's worth mentioning your vice chairman as well, aren't you now? So, and many roles. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other duties in a job? Does... 
yeah, I'm kind of I am vice chairman at the club. Um, I think my my actual title is head of performance and development, but I'm also the safeguarding uh, welfare officer as well. Uh, I think I also sweep the changing rooms, make the tea, and <laughs> that type of thing. So. Um, so yeah, I do have many roles at the club, um, but it's I, I have the um, I, I have the luxury of time, so it's um, so I have time to put into projects and, and things like that. So um, and I love every minute of it, to be honest. So so yeah, but I am a very busy man. Um, you've caught me for an hour this morning, and that's quite rare at the minute, <laughs> particularly <laughs> this time of year. So <laughs> so how far can the can the team like say the step five? say at the moment yeah so how, so the how, far, how far can we go so so the next ambition is, is national league um so it's when you step out of regionals and go nationwide um so so step four is is the, the national league so that's our next target um the it, my ambition is endless i think we can we can go all the way you you only have to look at some of the other teams and, and money will always be a factor. The financial side will always be a factor. You, to go to the Super League, you, you need millions of pounds. There's no doubt about that. But um, I, I wouldn't like to set a limit on where we can go because, because anything can be achieved, anything can be done. And, and, and it's one goal that I, that I have. I want to take this club, I want to be part of, part of the group and want to set this club as high as it can go so we've got as immediate targets but can it go to the top I'd, I'd never say no it'd be tough and uh, but we'd never say no but but over the next few years I'd like to see us get into the National League and I'd like to be I'd like to see teams such as Forest and Derby coming to players and and, and New Stoke Cities and, and teams like that so uh, and that's a real possibility so uh, I, I don't want to I can't I can't kind of predict it would be against my analyst nature to predict <laughs> um, how we're going to go on this season so I have to be very careful on that but but the ambition of the club is high it's very high and I think we could take I think we could we, we could go pretty high yeah. yeah and final thing on um uh on the Chesterfield FC women's team is those kits yeah, yeah, yeah. So that caused a bit of a stir didn't it when those kits came out <laughs> yeah the thing is what what we wanted to do it was a 30-year anniversary uh, and we thought we've got to do something special um, we, we want to mark that because we've had so the, the history of Chesterfield ladies as it was is so rich and there's been so many good things and there's the, the stories and, and things that we never want to lose and so the way that we designed the kids I mean obviously our new hope and glory as you, you talked about last week uh, through Chagos Islands and um, we when we designed the kids we designed the home kit to be a um, a relic of the past so if you, the kit itself if you look at the first kit that Chesterfield ladies ever wore and it is knocking about there somewhere it was kind of one that was borrowed from the men's team through community back in back in the, the, the early 90s we've replicated that kit through through the home kit the green kit is a look to the future so it was something a little bit different something a little bit out there the green and gold which I think is which has been very very popular uh, and of course, they're made out of recycled bottles, which is another thing about looking to the future and 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 and, and where we want to go as a club and things like that. So uh, yeah, they've been incredibly popular. And the wonderful thing we've done is it's not just the first team that wear those; they go right down to the juniors. So all the juniors are pulling on the same kits, the same special one-off hand hand-designed kits that the first team are doing. So we've got kind of ten-year-old uh, Lacey 
pulling on her uh, shirt the same as we've got kind of Sammy Stokes in the first team doing. So it's um, and, and that's brilliant to see. That's, that's really good to see. And then they've been very popular. And, and to be fair, I, I, I introduced them, but, but one of our board members, Sade, um, she kind of did a lot of work for the designing and, and what a job she's done. Do you know what I mean? Because they've gone down a tree. Um, it's, um, I've not kind of put one on to go down the pub yet, but uh, you know what I mean? They are those types of shirts, aren't they? That you could do that. So <laughs> I'll go down to Bramall Lane in maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'll do that, to be honest. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Chagos Islands. So I was kind of reading into them a little bit um, because the history of the islands is um, is uh, quite traumatic, really. But yeah. the basically, um, you'll be able to probably explain it more than me. But the the basic gist of it I got was that the the residents of the island that were kind of turfed out so that they could build a military base there. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the uh, the islands have been there. It's a it's an ex slave colony. It was people were taken there from from Africa and India. So it's very Afro Indian. And the the Chagos Islands basically come under a group of islands that include the Seychelles and Mauritius. So technically, legally, without getting into too much depth, they belong to Mauritius, and they were always part of Mauritius. Uh, but an island in their own right. Um, so, and, and there's there's many islands that make up the Chagos, but there's kind of three or four main islands. Uh, the main one being Diego Garcia. Um, so, um, so basically, in the sixties, um, it was there was a deal done, and it was kind of an under the table deal with the British government and the and the Mauritian government that Mauritius were allowed to have independence from Britain on the basis that they gave the islands to to Britain. Um, and so it, it was. It was done in such a way that was that, that was unlawful in international law. Uh, and the islanders were removed, but on the basis that the, the the pictures of the rest of the world is that there was no natives. There was no there, there was no native islanders there, and so they, they were forced off the islands through some horrific kind of measures. The, the medical care was stopped. The the food supplies were stopped. The ships were stopped from coming in, so people couldn't live a life there. Uh, and, and the worst, I think the, the, the biggest thing is they, they, they passed a new law that no one was allowed a pet on the island. So they rounded out everybody's dogs and, and killed them, basically. And it was to push the people off the island. So um, they'd offer trips to the mainland to Mauritius on boats. And then as soon as they arrived in Mauritius, they say, you're not allowed back. And it got to the point where they had to leave. And it was, they've had a, a terrible time with Chagossians now for... For, for since since the late sixties, and and I found it when I came across the story, it's absolutely heartbreaking. I thought it's twenty twenty one, and we've got people who who, who still have been kicked off their island, still living in poverty. We've got people living in this country that can't get a passport or any citizenship, and I think, wow, that's it's absolutely terrible. It's a real crime. Um, it, uh, the case went to an international court, which which found that the British had to give the the islands back because they they turned it to, they basically they, they leased it to the Americans and it's the Americans that built a, a naval base there. Um, but um, but the British have ignored the court rulings and there's not much that can be done about it. So it, it's an ongoing fight. But the Chagossians are so resilient and that there's not many of them left to be honest. There's there's a good I'd say probably three to five thousand 
Um, and obviously, over time, kind of that, that changes a little bit because people people lose their identity and they live in other countries and things like that. But they're such a wonderful people to be with. And, and, and football has been a brilliant way to, to keep their culture alive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's why I got involved with that particular team. Uh, it, it's, it, it's tough, but they're so resilient. It, it's, it's wonderful. So where are all, all the players? Are they just scattered around, around the world? Yeah, so, so basically about 50% of them are in Mauritius. So um, they were sent to Mauritius, but they're still to this day living in slums. So it's without electric or water or things like that. Very difficult to get jobs and education. The, the other 50% found their way to Crawley, oddly enough. So basically they, they got on the flight or at Gatwick Airport and just lived in Gatwick Airport for a few weeks until the, the, the council at Crawley gave them somewhere to live and things like that. So there's a real density of population in, in, between Crawley and Mauritius. Uh, there is some Chagossians around the world, such as in Russia and uh, there's some in Manchester as well. There's a Chagoss, small Chagossian community in Manchester as well. So, uh, but yeah, the, the main, like, in, in the UK, the main based in, in Crawley, yeah. yeah. And, the, and this is where Kanifa comes in, isn't it? Because that's yeah. the... Confederation of Independent Football Associations, which is basically anyone that's not in can't be in FIFA, not in FIFA, yeah. um, because um, because of like the politics that's maybe happening or, or, or things like that. And I, I followed the World Cup when they had the World Cup last time, and it was it was really joyous to see everyone representing the nations that are a lot of nations that people won't have heard of. Absolutely, and it, it's kind of I, I I often think of it as kind of the non-league of international football. Um, like you say, there's, there's nations you've never heard of and, or some nations that you have heard of. You kind of look at, at Jersey, for instance, are in there and Sicily have joined very recently uh, and teams like that. But yeah, there's, it, it, it's a brilliant celebration of culture and we, we lose culture, don't we? And, and when you get kind of, uh, when there's a state that's not recognised or a state that's not, not known or it's a very small ancient state it's i i find it absolutely fascinating that these these cultures scattered all around the world and, and that the the, the Kanifa world cup um is a real celebration of that and wh- when i joined the, the islands we we qualified for the um for the it was a 20 um 20 Kanifa world cup in north macedonia but it got cancelled because of covid so it was it, I was we, we worked really hard for that. And it was such a shame that that that, that couldn't happen. Um, but I was really excited to to kind of go and play. I think we'll play Somaliland and I think Kazakhstan were in there as well and and teams like that. So I'm going to North Macedonia. I'd never gone to North Macedonia for a holiday or, or passing through. So I, I was so looking forward to that. I think that's what makes Kanifa great. Is the spirit of football is perhaps the, at the centre of everything for that, and it's. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, being part of the Chagos and, and Kanifa and the World, um, the, the World Unity uh, Football Association as well is, is another uh, association that Chagos are part of. Um, so, and you just, you get to meet some wonderful people. Yeah. So what's, what's the plans then going forward? Is it, when's the next World Cup? Uh, so the next World Cup hasn't been uh, announced as yet. Uh, there is an Africa Cup. Uh, and of course, to Chagos is a, an African nation, um, technically. So um, 
we I don't know. I'm I'm kind of waiting to hear if there's a trip to Zanzibar on the uh, on the cards in October, November. And um, so I've been dusting off the old passport. <laughs> so so we never know uh, if we've qualified for that or not. But um, the, the World Cups tend to happen every two to three years. So it's not like FIFA where it's every four years and, and it's stuck on that. Uh, they do tend to be a little bit sooner. Um, so it's kind of just way and it, it's such a it, it's very different it's not like FIFA where you play qualifying games and go through they work on a point system so it's about playing games so you'll rack up points for playing games so the more games you play the higher the more points you get whether you win lose or draw and that's what gets you into the tournament so it's about being active as opposed to winning matches so it's a little bit different so yeah lots of I think before I joined and Chagos went into the last World Cup, I think the, the manager, Jimmy, had <laughs> he was organising games left, right and centre. It was sort of like, I've got to get 15 games in the next month to, uh, to qualify. So he did a wonderful job doing that. Crikey. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you've really got everything that you're involved with all sounds really fun. Is that what it feels like to you? Oh, absolutely. I love it. It's like I say, it goes back to 15 years ago. I wanted to make a difference to people's lives and, and sport was the way that I've done that and I'm not disappointed. Working with Che Gossa and Chesterfield has been, has been brilliant. It's, I love every waking minute of doing that. And, and it's, uh, I work with the University of Sheffield women now as well. So that's another team. So yeah, my time fills up very, very quickly. Um, but, but yeah, I, I work with so many people in so many different ways and it's wonderful. And, and, and you'd like to try and make a difference to those people and take it to the next level and, and give them professionalism and give them a platform they might not have otherwise had. And if I'm a small cog in that and that works, then I'm, I'll be absolutely delighted. So, and, and yeah, absolutely love it. Every minute of it. I bet you really miss HR. <laughs> <laughs> HR, I can't even spell it these days. I, I miss it that much. <laughs> My kind of last question uh, was going to be, so we've obviously had a lot of lockdown over the last year and a lot of people have been working from home and stuff like that. And I, like many other people, have piled on a few pounds over the past year. Um, and I have run a few marathons and things in the past. So I used to be, I used to have a really good VR max VO2 um, uh, kind of rating, but I don't know anymore. Um, so what, if, if people had like 20 minutes a day to do some like S&C type stuff, what, what can you do with 20 minutes a day to get fit? Yeah, so uh, what we did uh, in lockdown, um, where I was working with the junior teams, and we did something called a 30-day challenge, which was all about HIIT workouts, so high-intensity interval training. You can dedicate 15 to 20 minutes a day doing certain exercises. Uh, and there's so many out there on YouTube, or, or, or you can Google HIIT, H-I-I-T, uh, or Tabata exercises. 15-minute exercises, high-intensity, so it might be three sets of 15 um, times four, or it might be uh, you do one minute on, 20 seconds off time stuff. And let me tell you, if you when you start doing those, your, your fitness goes through the roof. And, and you only need you – don't, you don't even have to do it every day. You could do 15 minutes three times a week, and I guarantee you, you will get results. Do you know what I mean, I'm sounding like Mr. Motivator now, but I guarantee that you will get results. Have a look for HIIT workouts. And if you do them to the best of your ability, there's a lot of plyometric work in there, which means basically lots of jumping. So you're kind of doing different types of jumps. So they might be doing a bit of upper body, then straight into an upper, into a lower body, straight into a cardio. And all you need is 15 minutes, even twice a week, two, three times a week. And I guarantee you, 
you'll be walking faster, you'll be running faster. And the first two weeks are like a living hell where you think, I cannot do another day of this. And, and to be when I kind of did it for our juniors, the wonderful side of that, we had about 47 juniors doing the 30-day challenge. And every day they had to do this and they had to record themselves. All the parents did it as well because the parents were in lockdown. And mm. some people have not exercised for 20 years. They were doing it. And suddenly they were like, wow, I'm a different person. It was wonderful. So definitely the hit and Tabata workouts, get on them. You know what I mean? There's so many resources out there. And it doesn't have to be – I do – the work I do is sport-specific. I make I, – I, I strengthen and condition people for football, for sports, for football-specific movements. But if you're just out there wanting to do anything, do the hit workouts, honestly. I cannot sing their praises enough. Joe Wicks of the North. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm not quite as uh, popular, good-looking or as, uh, as fit as Joe Wicks. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I suppose the message from you then is for everyone to go out there and follow follow what the Chesterford FC women's team and Chagos Islands are doing then, is it? Yeah, absolutely. They're very, both very active on social media. Um, we, uh, it's, um, there's some really exciting things happening. So, uh, so, yeah, give us a follow, give us a shout. We'll always get back to you. Um, but the Chesterfield women play at the uh, Chesterfield Rugby Club on Dunstan Road So um, and, and our league's on a Sunday. So, uh, yeah, get yourself up, come and support. Uh, if, you, if you bought a new shirt, we need to see you in your new shirts because they've, they've been selling like hotcakes. So, uh, so yeah, get yourself up, come and have a look.